Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable Truth. This issue is about cultural curiosities. For example, in the United States, tipping is quite common. That's not exactly a curiosity, but I do find it curious that there are tip jars at automated quick cashier stations. And so, in other words, uh, you stick your credit card in, you pay for whatever you're buying, your coffee or your groceries or whatever, but there's a tip jar taped to something there. I'm not quite sure whom you're tipping, but there you have it. I find that dogs and baby carriages are a cultural curiosity. I find them now in restaurants. Now, where I live here in Rhode Island, it is illegal to bring a dog into any kind of a shop, a coffee shop, a restaurant, a retail store, unless it's a service dog. But I find tucked away in the corner of a restaurant, a baby carriage, inside of which is a dog getting some treats from the table. It's also, to me, quite curious that these days people whoop, whoop, not just at athletic events, but they whoop whenever they feel like it at any kind of event. I found this very strange, for example, at the ballet, where they're doing a pas de deux, or they're doing some kind of uh, a dance, classic or modern, and there are people whooping it up in the audience. If one of them is behind you, it's extraordinarily annoying. A refusal to merge in traffic is a cultural curiosity because it just delays everybody. I mean, what are you putting on the line here? And it's mostly male. I mean, is it that much testosterone that you've got to prove that you don't have to merge or that zippers make no sense? I don't get it at all. Uh, plugging and um, unplugging everything that we do to make it work, yet we have a fear of AI. In other words, we're afraid that artificial intelligence will become sentient and take us over Yet to make a lot of electronics work these days, we have to unplug it and plug it back in again. That's not exactly threatening great sentience to me. I find it curious that football players, after a good play, bang their helmets together, hit their helmets, sometimes very strongly. Now, concussions are on everybody's minds these days. A lot of parents won't let their kids play uh, football at young ages anymore. They're thinking about doing away with heading soccer balls in youth leagues. And of course, they have blue tents on the sidelines of football games so that any kind of injury, but especially a head injury, is examined immediately. Yet these guys keep hitting their heads together. I don't get that. Uh, there are attempts to end cursive handwriting in school. Now, <laughs> the thing is that, you know, if you want to write a note, a condolence note, a thank you note or something like that, or just address an envelope, Cursive is pretty important. I guess people can always block print, but you don't always have a keyboard. And there are certain things you shouldn't or wouldn't want to do by email or on a keyboard. And how long does it take to learn cursive writing? About seven seconds? I mean, come on, are the schools that busy teaching rocket science? I don't think so. There are chains in football that measure the 10-yard distances for a first down. And these are very exacting. And they'll bring the chains out and one official marks it on a special line, the other official holds the first end, the third official holds the second end, and they put it down carefully next to the ball so the referee can determine if it's a first down or not, often by matters of an inch or less, tenths of inches. Yet the ball is marked originally by an official's foot. 
the official puts a foot down to mark forward progress. There's no scientific measurement. There's nothing in the ball that relates to a computer where it is. And so the chains look very scientific and official, but it's based on where an official stuck his foot and whether that official is a size 9 or a size 12. Even good shows have laugh tracks. Are we supposed to sit there and believe that people are actually laughing to these phony laugh tracks? I mean, in 2023, comedies are so poor, they're so poorly done, and they can't afford to have live audiences that they have to run laugh tracks. That brings me, by the way, to reality, and especially reality shows. Reality shows are not reality shows. They're scripted. People are told where to stand. The scenes are blocked. They're told what to feel and think. They might not have actual dialogue line by line, but if something doesn't go right, they reshoot it. Trust me, I know this from the inside. So just like a book, as George Carlin pointed out, that's written by someone else is not a self-help book, these are not reality shows because reality, last time I looked, is not scripted. And that brings me to influencers. What the hell are influencers? Why are they influencers? What have, what have they done to gain the rank of influencer? I went to a rehearsal of the ballet when I was president of the board, and there were about, I don't know, two dozen people who had been invited to watch the rehearsal uh, in a large theater. Uh, and I noticed four women walking around who I did not know. They were not on the board. They were not in the company. They were not on the staff. And they were dressed to the gills. I said to our artistic director, who are these people? And she said, they're influencers. And they're going to be filming on their iPhones while they're here. God knows what they were influencing other than themselves. I like the fact, as a curiosity, that dog treats come in zip-top bags that are airtight. In other words... After you open the dog treats, you can seal the bags again so that the treats remain fresh and soft. The problem being that dogs prefer crunch. They prefer to chew things. They don't like soft things. They like things they can crunch up. You give them stale food, they're perfectly happy with it. Yet they're selling dog food that sells fresh. Why would they do that? Waiters who give us their favorite meals, they're a real delight. They take up, I don't know how much of our time, saying things like, let me tell you the three appetizers I like best. I don't care what you like best. I'm not here to follow your advice. You're not a culinary expert. You're a waiter. Of course, if this is LA, you're not even a waiter. You're really what? You're a director or an actor or a screenwriter or a playwright or something. I understand. You just happen to be waiting tables. I just want you to take my order, try not to memorize it and louse it up, and bring it to me hot and on time. Can you do that? The opposite of these waiters chattering away is the silence of the elevator. I love it. You get on an elevator with 14 other people and nobody says anything. Everybody stares up at the, at the light that shows you what floor you're on as it goes up or down and people don't say anything as though you're in a church service. It's far noisier in my church than it is on any elevator I've ever been in. Why do we need, by the way, speaking of silence, total silence when a golfer hits a ball or a tennis player hits a ball. Why can't the crowd be screaming? I mean, the crowd is screaming when a quarterback is calling signals and dropping back and worrying about getting hit and knocked to the ground and trying to find somebody to throw the ball to. That noise is okay, but not when somebody's got some kind of six iron staring at a white ball on the ground. Why does that require total silence? As far as I can see, that ain't rocket science. I mean, people are screaming at a prize fight when the people in the ring are trying not to get hit in the jaw and knocked out, but people can scream there. But God, somebody's going to serve a, a, a tennis ball and they're going to make $2 million if they lose and $5 million if they win and we have to have total silence? 
What's that all about? I don't get it. Borrowing $300,000 to get a degree in philosophy or history or teaching from a university that expensive, when you know if you're lucky and you immediately get a job, it's going to pay you $60,000, doesn't exactly make you a math expert, does it? Why do people get into debt over their heads to get jobs that they could obtain for much more inexpensive education that otherwise they're going to be paying back for 40 years if they're lucky? Are they really sitting around just hoping that all their debts will be forgiven? I got news for you. That ain't the way life works. When I'm in a store, a pharmacy, a hardware store, some kind of retailer, and I have 12 items, I just love it when the cashier says, do you want a bag? No, I am going to juggle these items to my car, plop them in the trunk, and then juggle them into my house. If there's a tip jar at this station, nothing's going in there. I think it's a cultural curiosity that people fly to climate meetings on their personal jets. I don't think I need to tell you a whole lot more about that, do I? When you get a drunk driving charge, when you're found guilty of DUI and your license is suspended or revoked or you're even jailed, no one in any state I know of, certainly not here where I live, checks to see if you have a pilot's license or a boating license, and you need a license to operate a car or a boat or a plane. But there's no cross-referencing. So you could be drunk as a skunk on a highway, and that evening take your Cessna up and fly it into somebody's house. By the way, there's a program on for quite a long time now called Dancing with the Stars. It's highly popular and it's very entertaining, except it should be called Dancing with the Vaguely Familiar. If they have 14 quote-unquote stars on, I barely recognize two of them and I have no idea who the other dozen are. That's because I think truly legitimate stars don't want to embarrass themselves that badly. Here's, the, here's a disclaimer I love. Now we have all of these advertisements on TV going right to the consumer. Ask your doctor, ask your pharmacist about this drug. And they all have strange names, Euteptin, Bismonia, and so forth. And among the warnings, an arm can fall off, uh, you might not be able to breathe, this could lead to bubonic plague. They have to give you all these warnings for the lawyers. One of the warnings is, do not take this drug if you're allergic to it. Well, how the hell would you know that? I think that's a cultural curiosity. You know, we sell cars that can do 200 plus miles an hour. And I've got four of them in my garage. And yet the speed limit is usually 60 or maybe 70. We do that, <laughs> nonetheless. I mean, why would you need a car that could go that fast? I say no more about that one either. We're really hypocrites, aren't we? We complain about airline discomfort. We complain about seats not reclining. We complain about being too compressed. People even buy devices to prevent the seat from in front of them reclining. And all these people need to go to a therapist rather rapidly. But the point is, we complain and complain and complain about the fact that we're doing 600 miles per hour flying coast to coast between five and six hours in a relatively comfortable seat with bathrooms included. Come on. I mean, what do you want for an 80-buck economy ticket? Finally, let me point out to you that kale 
is not food. It's become de rigueur to have on menus. It's become a trend. But raw, kale is simply a weed. And fried, as some people tell me, is much better. It's like cardboard. These are our cultural curiosities, folks. And I would go further, but I've already gone over time. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.